Oh, and he uses this term a few times. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And it's a, talking about the different responses, spiritual responses people are going to give. Some people are going to get it. Some people aren't going to get it. And so that brings us to the start of um, a new series at SWEC that we're starting on parables, uh, parables of the kingdom. Uh, And so firstly, we need to think about what parables are. As you can see, the title there, a sting in the tail. And so parables are stories, but they're not just, um, just stories for entertainment. They're stories that tell a lesson and they've usually got a sting in the tail or some kind of challenge, uh, something challenging our thinking. Uh, so what is a parable? It's a short story with a lesson or a meaning, and in the context of the Bible, they're always spiritual stories. And they can be, they can be very short, and so uh, the word parable is sometimes used for something that's even a phrase or half a sentence, uh, very similar to something like a metaphor or a figure of speech. Whereas the, one of the longest parables in the Bible, such as the prodigal son, uh, goes up to about 20 sentences. So we're talking short stories, um, but they always have a lesson, something to teach you. Now, why did Jesus use parables? Well, um, firstly, he did, in some ways, do it to fulfill prophecy, because actually this verse of the Bible, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 35... Matthew wrote, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. And so the coming Messiah, this was actually a sign of the Messiah that they would speak in parables, and Jesus did speak in parables. In fact, there's, uh, at one point it says uh, he, he only ever spoke in parables um, uh, in one of the Gospels. Um, but also there are other reasons why Jesus spoke in parables. And these may seem contradictory, uh, but the first one is to reveal, to reveal uh, secrets of the kingdom, secret, spiritual secrets, so that people could understand them. And, and Jesus even said, like, blessed uh, this generation, because, you know, in the past, prophets wanted to know this stuff. They loved to know this stuff. But it's only now, through Jesus, that these secrets are being revealed. And he's revealing them through parables. And so, to some extent, parables are meant to reveal something, to explain. And so, they are illustrations. They use a real-life example to help explain a spiritual concept. So, uh, just as we use metaphors sometimes ourselves to try to explain something, Jesus uses uh, farming metaphors, um, shepherding metaphors, different uh, metaphors, illustrations to try to help us understand something spiritual especially about the kingdom of God, which we'll be focusing on today. And sometimes, uh, it's, not, it's not that they're always 100% clear, so it's often, actually, Jesus would have to, um, after he's given the parable, his disciples would, would go up to him and go like, we, we don't get it. <laughs> What's, uh, can you explain it to us? And so Jesus would sometimes have to explain the meaning of a parable. So um, although they're illustrations to help bring out the meaning, uh, it doesn't mean necessarily that they're straightforward. Sometimes Jesus would also explain the parable. Um, and he'd do that for his closest disciples. But now we come to the, the third purpose of Jesus' parables is actually also to conceal. And that sounds like a contradiction, but if we think about um, if you know, you know, like some people get it, some people don't. It's, you know... Uh, and it's the same thing with parables. It's actually intended 
for some people to get it and for some people not to get it. And so Jesus actually sometimes, at least part of the reason why he spoke in parables was to conceal the meaning so that those who weren't uh, wanting to be in a relationship with God, wanting to genuinely know God and were in fact against Jesus and against God, that those people wouldn't get it. Or, uh, or at the very least, maybe they might guess that it was against them, that, that sometimes Jesus did speak some parables uh, intended to rebuke some of the religious leaders in that time. And sometimes they caught on and they're like, we're pretty sure this is, this is uh, against us, speaking, criti- criticizing us. Um, but because he spoke in parables, they couldn't catch his word. They couldn't catch him out uh, legally. They couldn't say, oh, he said this about, and get him arrested. And so... Speaking in parables, Jesus was able to speak in some ways freely about the kingdom without getting in, in too much trouble. So there are a few reasons why Jesus did speak in parables. Um, but today we're going to focus on two very short parables. Uh, it's probably one of the shortest Bible readings we've had lately. And both of them start with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And so these are two parables that are telling us about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven, or also known as the kingdom of God. And it's this concept about uh, both the present, uh, Jesus coming to bring in this kingdom, and also the future uh, idea that when God is king and all his people live under his rule in peace and without... um, sin without death with all the bad things in this world. So it's this ideal kingdom where God is king and we are his people and we're living in a right way, in a right relationship with God. And so in some ways we get tastes of that kingdom through Jesus, but we're also waiting for it for when he returns and fully brings in this kingdom. But now we're going, it's still a foreign concept. And so, uh, especially I think in these parables, one of the main purposes of Jesus using parables is to help reveal it, help reveal what this kingdom is like. And so here, Jesus is using something familiar, metaphors that people would be familiar with, about a guy buying a field and someone, a merchant buying pearls. People back then would be familiar with this to try to understand the value of a kingdom that isn't familiar. And so this is a spiritual kingdom. It's not familiar to these people, so he's using metaphors to make it more familiar. And it's all about the value of this kingdom. So let's get into it now. Let's look at this first parable. As you can see, this is one of the shortest ones. It's only, uh, looks like one or two sentences, depending on how the translation breaks it up. Let's read it now. Uh, Matthew thirteen forty-four. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now the idea of treasure being hidden in the field, uh, I just said that these are meant to be familiar. That probably doesn't sound too familiar to us. Um, But if we think of the past, like uh, for example the gold rush, people would... Uh, back then, they heard of this, this gold available in Australia, and people would come from overseas, uh, often on very dangerous voyages back then on boats. Um, they'd often give up everything they had to finance this expedition 
in the hope of becoming rich, in the hope of finding gold. And, and from what I heard, um, I think a majority of them didn't end up finding that, the treasure that they hoped they would find, but they gave up a lot to go find this gold and to search for it because they knew how valuable it would be if they did find what they're looking for, this, this chunk of gold, um, and become rich through that. And so when we look at this parable here, we've got this person uh, who discovers treasure hidden in a field. I'm not sure if he's actively searching for it or if he just chances upon it. I'm not sure if this is uh, natural treasure like gold or whether someone has actually buried their, you know, like a treasure chest, like buried their possessions to keep them safe in this field. But either way, the point remains that this guy discovers this treasure and he's quite smart because, uh, you know, if he just took the treasure, well, that's kind of stealing because it's not his field. But instead, he's quite shrewd, and he hides the treasure again. He just found it, but then he, he hides it, and he buries it, so that no one else will find it. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. So he figures out, okay, if I take it now, it'll be stealing, but what I'll do is I'll bury this treasure. I'll go and I'll, buy, I'll sell everything I have um, and buy this whole field just so that I can get that treasure that's buried there. And that's what he does, because he knows how valuable that treasure is that he has found. And so let's think about what this might be telling us about the kingdom of God, because this is what it's about, right? The kingdom of heaven is like, and it's like this situation. So what can we uh, possibly learn? Well, firstly, it's valuable. Uh, The kingdom is like a treasure, It's valuable, very, very valuable. Secondly, uh, it's not easy to find. And so this person has chanced upon it, but it's obviously not everywhere. It's not easy to find. Thirdly, it dramatically changes the life of the discoverer. As soon as this man finds this treasure, he sells everything he has, everything, so that he can get it. That's how valuable this treasure is. It's worth giving up everything for. And finally, this is more of my own observation, but I think it's probably, probably true of the, the, the situation. It's, it's weird for other people to see because uh, if you, you know, who knows what this field's value had, whether it had any farming value or not, but this guy who um, wants it so much, he'll sell everything he has, and for other people to see that, because they don't know the treasure's there, right? No one else knows the treasure's there. To see this guy sell everything he has and just to buy this field would have looked pretty weird. But for that guy, he knew the treasure was there, and so it was worth it. But for everyone else, it would have looked pretty strange. Well, let's go to our next parable. Uh, This time, verse 45 to 46. And again, we have that phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. And this time, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I'm not sure if you guys know much about pearls. I certainly wasn't until I had a bit of research uh, on it. But um, there's different types of pearls. Uh, There's, of course, you know, um, plastic and fake pearls that people try to trick people into buying. And so you might think those are the, the fake, the non-genuine pearls. And the really, there's, 
there's lots of really expensive pearls, and these will be the most common pearls sold in shops. So most shops would sell these type of, of pearls the, you, that you, are very expensive, and you'd think they're a the genuine deal. But actually, most pearls in the world today, almost all of them, are in fact farmed. And so they're actually uh, intentionally created to be sold. And they're still, you know, it's still very hard to make them, and they're, they're worth a lot of money, thousands of dollars. But almost all pearls are farmed these days. There's very, very few actual genuine pearls that have been discovered naturally in the ocean. Uh, and there's very few pearl, pearl divers now because there's just so few genuine pearls left. But there are some. And so when you come across a genuine pearl that hasn't been farmed, it's not fake, uh, it was discovered nat occurring naturally in the ocean, these are worth a lot of money. And I mean a lot of money. So this is a picture of uh, one of these pearls. It's a genuine one. It hasn't, it's not fake. It hasn't been farmed. I wonder how much you think this, uh, this pearl would be worth. As you can see, it's pretty small there. You can see the size of the ring that would go through the necklace. Uh, it's probably only about this, this big. How much do you think that would be worth? Well, apparently, this, uh, this particular pearl is worth $1,875,000. Australian dollars. And if that doesn't quite compute in your head, uh, picture um, iPhone 12s, uh, so one of, one of the latest iPhones. Uh, it costs about 1,500 of those, uh, one of the most expensive phones you can buy. So this is a pretty valuable pearl. And I would imagine that in this story back then, when there were much more um, natural, purely naturally occurring pearls available, that's the kind of pearl this story is talking about. The kingdom of heaven is like that kind of pearl. And it's about a merchant who's, he knows what he's looking for in this story. I think that, that makes it slightly different to the one before. Uh, he knows exactly what he's looking for. He's looking for a fine pearl. And when he finds one of great value, he finds what he's looking for, finally finds it. He goes away and sells everything he had and bought it. And as you uh, saw in the kid's story, which was a good illustration of this story, uh, he's just run, um, jumping down the field, dancing with you know, only his shirt on because he's sold everything he has and all he's got is the pearl. But for him, it's worth it. Now, let's uh, think about what this might be telling us about the kingdom of heaven. Well, again, it tells us that it's valuable, very, very valuable. Uh, it's not easy to find. This merchant probably been looking for a very long time for this pearl. Thirdly, it dramatically changes the life of the discoverer. Once he finds it, he sells everything he has. He probably doesn't have a house to live in anymore. Everything's gone, but he has his pearl. And it's worth giving up everything for. And finally, it's also pretty weird for other people to see. And, you know, in that kid's story, when you see the guy dancing, he's got his pearl, but he doesn't have a house, he doesn't have clothes, he doesn't have food, he doesn't have anything, that's pretty silly, right? Like, most people would say, you know, that guy's a little bit too obsessed with pearls. <laughs> he should probably calm down a bit. Someone should sit him down and talk to him and, and uh, try to counsel him out of selling everything he has to buy this pearl, because he sounds a little bit insane. And so these two parables, as you can see, that slide, the slide you can see at the moment is exactly the same one I had before. They're teaching the same uh, 
meaning. They have the same meaning. Two different stories, same meaning about this kingdom. There's a phrase um, uh, that's good for giving financial advice or um, even in life in general, that's don't put all your eggs in one basket. I'm not sure if you've heard that before, but don't put all your eggs in one basket, you know, because if you drop the basket, they're all going to break, and then you have no eggs. It's the idea that um, whatever you invest in, whatever you put your trust in, well, you should try to spread it out a bit, because, you know, if that doesn't come through for you, then you're in trouble. If you've put everything in one basket and it doesn't go well, well, that's going to be bad for you, and so you should try to spread out your trust, spread out your investments. Is that what these passages are telling us? Well, no, it's the opposite, isn't it? In fact, Jesus is telling us to go all in, to put everything we have into this one investment. And he's going to obviously need to have a very good reason to do that. And that's what these parables are trying to teach us. He's trying to help us understand how valuable this kingdom is. Because we'd think that would be foolish, wouldn't we? Uh, To put all of our investments in one thing. But Jesus is telling us it's worth it. Uh, Not only to put everything in one basket, but everything you have, to put all your trust in this one thing. And we have good reason to trust him, don't we? We have very good reason to trust Jesus because he's the one person that would genuinely know that this is worth it. During uh, COVID, um, I got into a bit of uh, share investing, um, buying some stocks. Um, And it was a very interesting experience. This is a a diagram of a share price. And it might be a bit too small. I'm not sure if you guys can see that on your screens. Um, But in the middle of this graph, the share price dramatically suddenly uh, goes up. And I wonder when you think that might have been, what event happened at that point in the middle there when the share price suddenly rose. And it was, of course, uh, COVID. This is a share price of a vaccine company. And so as soon as COVID hit, the share price just went up and up and didn't stop. And uh, you might, again, too small to see, but there's a little green label on the right there that says uh, 457%, um, percent, almost, almost a 500% increase in share price. So in other words, if you um, put in $100 in, uh, in these stocks just before COVID hit, and then at the end of when this graph was made, which was, I think, just um, near the end, uh, even just halfway through last year, um, you would have times your money by five, basically. So you'd have $500. And now, obviously, you usually put in a bit more than 100. Say you put in everything. Say you put in everything you own. Uh, If you, for example, if you own a house or if your parents own a house and you convince them, you said, look, I know this this disease is coming. It's going to hit. And we need to sell our house and just put everything into this one stock. Uh, It would be pretty hard to convince them. It would be pretty foolish financial advice back then. But it would be worth it if you knew what was going to happen, right? And then you'd end up with five houses at the end. So each of your family members could have their own house. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Um, 
and because, so if you had this inside knowledge, if you knew what was going to happen in advance, then it would be worth it. I don't know what you'd have to do. Like you sold your house, you sold everything, you bought this stock. Maybe you'd have to stay at a friend's house. Maybe you'd have to live on the street. I don't know. Would it be worth living on the street for, what was it, like um, five months or six months um, to then times your investment by five? Uh, you'd probably have enough money to keep you going uh, depending on your investment, possibly for the rest of your life, um, having five houses. And so it'd be worth it, wouldn't it? It'd so be worth it if you knew that it was going to be worth it, that it was going to have a great return, it's incredibly valuable, so you knew it was valuable, and you knew it was trustworthy, you knew it was going to happen, you knew it was assured. Uh, because if it's not assured, right, that's foolish. That's why people lose all their money in share markets. But if you knew it was going to happen with 100% certainty, it would so be worth it, wouldn't it? And that's what Jesus is trying to tell us. Jesus is God. He knows what's going to happen in the future. He knows with 100% certainty what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And so he can tell us to go all in for the kingdom and that it's worth it. He's the one that knows, and he's trying to explain it to us. He's trying to use some examples of a guy finding treasure in a field, of a merchant finding this priceless pearl. It sounds silly, but he's trying to explain to us it's worth it. It's worth it. We do live in a strange time, though. We live a, a strange time in Australia and in Western countries in general of prosperity, and so following Jesus in the 21st century, um, for Western nations at least, um, usually doesn't cost that much. And so we can actually, a lot of us here, have probably gained the kingdom of God without having to do much at all, or give up much at all. Uh, it's not really that costly to become a Christian in Australia, very thankfully. Uh, but we do have to remember, this is, this is strange, this is unusual, because, you know, if we look, okay, if you look... In the last five years, it's probably become a little bit harder to be a Christian in Australia. But if you look in the 2,000 years since Jesus, this is a really weird time. Most of the time, Christians have had a difficult time following Jesus. Some, many had to give their life uh, or make huge sacrifices, uh, whereas now we don't. And so, the, you know, these passages can f seem a bit funny, like we know it's worth it, but, you know, yeah, okay, let's become Christians and we don't actually have to give up that much. Uh, so uh, it's, it's pretty good, really. Um, but I have to concede that it may become harder. Uh, I, at least I personally think it's probably going to be harder to be a Christian in Australia as the years go on. As in the next 5, 10, 20 years, it's probably going to get harder. I'm not sure how much harder, but it will get harder because of politics and things that are going on. Um, but also, we have to think of other people as well, and that's, that's, you know, what some of the greatest commandments are, to love others as we love ourselves. And so when we think about all the other people in the world who this story is, is just as true for them as well, uh, the story of the guy finding treasure in a field, the merchant finding this fine pearl, those stories are true of them as well, uh, just as they're true of us. And so for anyone who doesn't know Jesus yet, that pearl, that treasure is worth just as much to them as well. And investing in the salvation of others can cost a lot, especially if you do go to those countries where they are. And, you know, it, it's risky. Some 
missionaries do lose their lives occasionally. Uh, certainly, lots of them have to give up a lot. And also for people back here too, there's loads of people who invest in the kingdom, who give loads um, in their current jobs because they know it's worth it. It's worth it for them and it's worth it for those uh, that don't know Jesus yet as well. And so I think we do have a certain responsibility as living in this strange time of prosperity to think, yeah, it was so easy for me to become a Christian and it's so worth it, but it's so worth it for other people too. And so I need to draw my attention to them as well. So hopefully uh, you've got something out of these first two parables and look forward to looking at more parables of the kingdom uh, in the coming weeks. Um, And hopefully these two parables have brought the kingdom, just that made that little bit more real to you, that it is worth it. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. Hopefully that's what you got from this talk as well. And so that's what we need to realize for ourselves and let that change our lives. All right, let me pray for us to finish. Please pray with me. Dear God, thank you um, for these two parables that help us have a little bit more understanding of something that is foreign to us, this idea of the kingdom of heaven. I pray that you would help us grasp just how valuable your kingdom is and that that knowledge, that grasp of how valuable it is might shape the way we live our lives, the way we live it for ourselves and what we invest in, and also how we invest in the lives of others who don't have your kingdom yet themselves. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. We're going to be singing of the immeasurable worth of Jesus, who is the King of Kings. So why don't you get ready to uh, sing along again? Let's sing. In the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and prophets To a virgin came the word From a throne of endless glory To a cradle in the dirt Praise the Father Praise the Son Praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. To reveal the kingdom come, had to reconcile the the whole creation you did not despite the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for my sake you died 
held its breath Till that stone was moved for good For the Lamb had conquered death And the dead was from their tombs And the angels stood in awe For the souls of all who'd come To the fathers of stone And the church of Christ was born Spirit lit the flame Now this gospel truth and all Shall appear, shall not fade By his blood and his name In his freedom I am free For the love of Jesus Christ Who has resurrected me Praise the is the king of our kingdom worth it? As we sang just then, it's because this king gave up everything. It's how valuable we are to this king. To make us part of this kingdom, he literally gave up everything for our sake. It may not cost us a lot in Australia, as John said at this moment, to become Christians But you bet every time there is a struggle in your life about whether or not I'm going to obey Jesus or I'm just going to go after the things I want or go after the things that the world wants me to want. Every time where obedience is questioned, it's always going to be a matter of cost, isn't it? Is Jesus going to be worth it? Deciding to obey Him, to be honest, to be sexually pure, to refrain from anger, is that going to be worth it? Or is it going to be too costly? Well, hopefully today God has reminded you that anything to do with the kingdom is always going to be worth it. If, we, if you knew the outcome of those shares, as John said, you would throw everything into that. Well, we know the outcome, don't we, church? You know the outcome of this universe, COVID or not. The outcome is Jesus will be king and we're going to belong to him forever. And nothing else that we place value in in this life that doesn't belong to this kingdom, nothing else is going to last. They might be important things, but they're not going to last. So knowing that, how are we challenged to give and to spend 
and to value the things that are really important. I was challenged by today, and I hope you are too. Look, we're going to finish our service uh, in a moment, uh, but this would be great. Since you're at home already, you know, don't rush off straight away. 